you are going to remember where you were right now for the rest of your life. You are listening to On the Mound with Max Stanzer, Matt Sossler, and Tommy Muma on VIC Radio. That is right. Hello and welcome to On the Mound. I'm Max Stanzer alongside my two co-hosts, Matt Sossler and Tommy Muma, here on VIC Radio. As I said, Matt Sossler from the north side of Chicago and Tommy Muma, longtime New York Mets fan. <laughs> no. Yeah, long time New York Yankees fan, I correct myself. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this morning. We'll be here every Saturday here on VIC from 8 to 9 a.m. covering all the baseball topics you need to know, especially when baseball season comes around. we got so many games to cover and all the news you need to know. Pitchers and catchers report just a couple of weeks away. We also have some very, very, very interesting guests book for the future, so make sure to just stay tuned for these next five, six weeks and so forth until our semester ends here at Ithaca College. Matt, I'm going to start off with you. Let's get right away. Former New York Met, New York Yankee, Tiger, famous Marlin, should I say, maybe one-year veteran. How about uh, Curtis Granderson retiring yesterday after a long and very you know, successful career in Major League Baseball? But, Matt, you have a very interesting perspective on him. How did he impact the game of baseball? Well, for starters, he impacted the, ba- the game of baseball in a really big way collegiately at the University of Illinois Chicago. Very philanthropic to the university after he graduated as he got into the MLB. As a matter of fact, the field at UIC, the renovated stadium that's got a great view of the city, is actually named after him. He donated a lot of money to that cause, and he's a very visible uh, face in the UIC baseball family. And especially once he got into the MLB on Detroit and the Yankees especially, he really had that really boosted the morale for the city, created a very positive image to see a UIC player, which typically doesn't produce a lot of MLB players, especially the ones that perform at the caliber of Granderson in the MLB, succeeding, really making a name for the program and seeing what it does for the program and making it more popular. No, yeah, for sure. And, Tommy, I mean, you got to watch Granderson almost every day when he was with the Yankees, and I'd say those were the best years of his career. Tell me, what kind of impact did he have on you as a Yankees fan? Um, well, you know, he always played with a lot of heart, and you always respect that. Um, you know, all the Yankee fans want for you to play hard, and he always did that. Um, but like Matt said, his parents made him have a 4.0 GPA in college, so he, uh, you know, he always cared about academics. But just a really good all-around guy, gave it his all every day. And you're right, those were his best years. He, well, he had some good years with the Tigers, but... I know he had like 41 home runs, led the American League in his first season with the Yankees. So, um, you know, obviously a big impact there, good defense, a lot of speed. So really an electrifying player. Sad to see him retire, but I know he'll do great things in the future. Yeah, and to add up to what you guys said, I mean, everything I saw on social media, not just yesterday, but from the past few years, is all about how great of a guy he is, how great of a teammate he is, a leader in the clubhouse on and off the field, great with fans as well, very philanthropic too. And, I, I mean, it's 
it's sad to see him leave the field, but you know, from what I've seen, you know, it just seems like everyone thinks he's going to stay in the game somehow and work as you know a representative for players or so forth. Maybe working in the league as a manager. Uh, so don't expect this to be the last of Curtis Granderson. Other teams he played for it as well. Short stints with the Brewers back in 2018 uh, in their postseason run. Uh, the Blue Jays and Dodgers as well. So Curtis Granderson was moving around the league a lot, but good for him. Congratulations to him. Uh, 344 career homers, 937 RBIs, 249 career hitter, OPS 800 in his career. Never can go wrong with that. All right, let's get to some of the more some more of the transactions around the league. The biggest one this week, I'd say, besides the Cincinnati Reds, who we'll talk later, is Starling Marte heading over to the Arizona Diamondbacks. This Diamondbacks team that was very sneaky last year in the wild card race came out of nowhere back in August, I think it was, and now they're adding Starling Marte, the second Marte to the team. Uh, what do you guys think about this, starting with you, Matt? Uh, I think that this is a great move for both teams, actually. The Pirates really need to take a look at things and start a rebuild. They've sort of been trying to pull what the Chicago White Sox pulled earlier in the 2010s, 2010, 2011, by signing older free agents and hoping that that win-now mentality would take place. Unfortunately, that or fortunately for them, it worked in 2015, those kind of years. But it didn't work out, really, because they played in the hardest division in baseball, However, I think the trade of Marte really says to the league that they're going to take a couple of years off and focus on rebuilding. Now, for Arizona, that's a phenomenal move. As you said, they were on the outside looking into the wild card race, and you just pick up an all-star who I can speak from personal experiences. When he came to bat in Chicago, your eyes focused a little bit more because you knew that there was the potential of something happening right there. So it's a really good move for Arizona. Really good move for Pittsburgh. Hopefully both teams mutually benefit from the deal. Yeah, how about you, Tommy? Yeah, I agree. I mean, when you think of Marte, he's another electrifying player. Um, always what I think about him is, do you remember that game in Colorado where he was in the pickle and yes. he got out of it? So that's always what I think about Marte. He's uh, always trying to make something happen. Definitely a guy that you want on your club. And, uh, yeah, I think it'll benefit the Diamondbacks a lot because he can, you know, he can make it happen offensively, defensively. Um, All-star back in 2016 with Pittsburgh. So, yeah, definitely a good trade for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, looking at it for the Pirates side of things, a couple of prospects they got, Brendan Malone and Luevo Piguero, a, a team that's struggling with their farm system in terms of, I mean, we go back, one of the, most controversial trades, I'll put it, as in the last decade or so, was the trade where the Tigers sent over uh, Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows uh, over to the Tampa Bay Rays in exchange for, what, Corey Dickerson and Chris Archer. And they got a lot of heat for that, given the situation they were in in a very tough and competitive division. They may have had a slight chance at pushing for the postseason, but at the end of the day, you gave up you know, a, a perennial all-star candidate in Austin Meadows and Tyler Glasnow, a guy that looked like one of the best pitchers in the league when he was healthy last year. So this is good of the Pirates, taking what they have, uh, making the payroll a little bit smaller, about $43 million, I think it is, is what they are currently at going into the 2020 season. Uh, it's a good sign for them. I think they do need to take a step back. They were very, they were in the situation that the Angels are in kind of right now, the Mariners a couple years ago too, where you're in the middle. You know, you're not necessarily... Going, committing all of your goals to the postseason at the same time. You're also trying to, you know, be a little young and get some prospects as well. But I think 
the fact they seem to be fully committing to that rebuild puts them in good shape. Especially since, look, you have the Cardinals being competitive, the Cubs now, the Brewers as well, the Reds are looking like potential division winners. So I don't think there's a place for the Pirates right now. It's smart. They should try to shop Archer. It's going to be tough with that contract, too. We'll see how it plays out. They could even give up Bell if they really wanted to as well. So we'll see. I mean, I'm curious. But let's let's take a look at these Diamondbacks. I, I'm very curious to see how they do this year. As we got Starling Marte in center, they'll probably start Cattell Marte, one of the MVP candidates last year at second. You got Gold Glover, Nick Ahmed at short. Eduardo Escobar, who had a very good season last year, 30 homers, 80 RBIs. At third, Christian Walker, a Gold Glover finalist as well. David Peralta, a Gold Glover finalist last year. Cole Calhoun, one of the best defensive right fielders in the game. Do you see a pattern here? Yeah, I think they're very good defensively, and I also think you forgot to mention Tim LaCastro, the Ithaca alum. Yeah, he yeah. played a crucial role down the stretch for the Diamondbacks last season, leading the league in hit-by-pitch. That's a key aspect, willing to sacrifice your body there. And not to mention also looking at their rotation. Adding Madison Bumgarner creates a little bit more depth in that rotation. And with the bullpen, adding Hector Rondon there, I can speak from that. He is a very good setup man, a very quality reliever when you need to fill that gap from the starter to the closer. So the Diamondbacks, from looking at this right now, seem like a very complete team and could easily compete, if not for the wild card, possibly the West with the Dodgers. Yeah, and look at the rotation, too. Adding Bumgarner, I mean, he, he should still have a good couple of years, a couple, you know, hundred innings left in him. And then you got Robbie Ray and Mike Leake, who are both very solid middle of the rotation guys. Luke Weaver, one of the prospects they got in the Goldschmidt trade, he's bouncing or bounding to have a good full MLB season up at the big league level. And then Kelly and Gall in his offense as well. They're looking good. Uh, now let's move on to another move, this one for Matt's faithful in Chicago, the Chicago Cubs, adding Steve Souza Jr. to man the outfield after coming off of an ACL, in- or excuse me, to- or ACL injury, that's correct. Matt, what are your initial thoughts on that? I like the move. I think it was inevitable once Souza signed the paper that Castellanos would not be returning to Chicago, but I like the move. Souza's a little bit better of a defender and can do a little bit less on the plate, but... Overall, very, very good. Over 300 hits throughout his career, 70 home runs. His on-base percentage is 323, which is kind of what you're looking for for a guy like Souza, who will probably either set up Bryant and Rizzo or follow Bryant and Rizzo. Also, I'm just looking at my main concern, which is the ability to stay on the field. Souza has not been able to play a complete season in 2018 and 2014, not playing a lot of games there. So that's my main concern. The stats speak for itself. He's a very good baseball player. Obviously no Nick Castellanos, but I think he will fill the hole pretty well. Yeah, I agree. Um, I had the opportunity to see him play a lot when he was in the Washington Nationals organization um, with the Syracuse Chiefs there. And uh, he's a very consistent player. Um, You know, his batting average isn't the best. He... um, you know his career batting average is 233 but as uh Matt mentioned injuries have kept him off the field and was he hurt all of last year or? not all or yes all of last year cuz he got hurt in 2018 was rehabbing yeah okay so yeah injuries definitely a concern there um but i think he'll bounce back strong and uh you know he does have some power he hit 30 home runs in 2017 with yeah. Tampa um so Nice pickup there for the Cubs. I think he can definitely do some damage in Wrigley. No, for sure. As you said, the power to all fields as well. Uh, the, the, the play that really jumps out to me is 
Game 162 of 2014, Jordan Zimmerman's no-hitter. Steven Sousa Jr. was the left fielder to make that diving catch. It was eventually traded to the Rays in the Will Myers trade that offseason. But, yeah, I think this is a good pickup. It's by low, a little bit cheaper than Castellanos, but it could really work out for him if he stays healthy. And he could be a big bat in the middle of the order for the Cubs. And then National League Central should watch out. Speaking of which... Another team in the National League Central that people should watch out for are the Cincinnati Reds. Now, I know you may be a little scared as a Cubs fan, but they're, they, this week they had a big one. They added Nicholas Castellanos and Pedro Strope to back up their bullpen, probably a setup guy behind Iglesias. Now tell me, Matt, there's some people out there who think the Reds could win the division this year. I, I think it could happen. What about you? I think it could happen as well. In that division right now, you're looking at a pretty much reverse landscape from what you're looking at last year. The Brewers falling off a little bit. The Reds improving a lot, adding Castellanos amongst a lot of free agents. They have had a phenomenal offseason. And also, keep in mind, even though the record really didn't show for it last year, they were a very, very, very good team. They were very complete at every corner of the field. They, their problem was just finishing games, stupid mistakes, stuff like that. Not being able to handle a complete lineup throughout the season. Made a couple moves at the deadline. But the thing that Castellanos adds is he adds a hitter in the lineup that will pretty much get on base in some way or another, get a productive out. He's also off the field. He's very mentally mentally stable mentally stable he his attitude throughout the season is it's always opening day he's always ready to go always ready to play and I think honestly we don't know how many years Votto's got left if Castellanos likes Cincinnati I wouldn't be surprised if he becomes the next Votto in that leadership aspect what's interesting about that deal as well is there's some opt-outs some player opt-outs for him so if he has a great year this year he could just opt down and get more money from the Reds may that be or another team Second year, same story. Tommy, what do you think about this signing? Um, I like it a lot, um, but, you know, I was going to say I'm hoping he comes to the Yankees if he chooses to opt out <laughs> yeah, after year one or two. That'd be a for him, all those East Palm Parks. Absolutely. Um, but I like the Reds a lot, um, especially after this signing, um, bringing on a veteran like that. And you look at their team, they have a lot of veterans. Trevor Bauer, um, Sonny Gray really had a great year last year, pains me to say, but... Uh, <laughs> um, but they have so many guys. Joey Votto, um, you, I'm going to butcher this first name. Is it Eugenio or is it Oh, Eugenio, Eugenio. Suarez. Suarez. Yeah. Um, Moustakis, um, really a good all-around team. And uh, they've made that transition pretty quick from where they were one of the worst teams in baseball to potentially having the chance uh, to win the division. So I definitely like the Reds. But I think that the Cardinals might still have the edge, but we'll see. It'll be certainly a fun year in the NL Central. No, and you touched on it exactly what I was going to say too, Tommy. Some of the biggest additions for them this year besides Castellanos is like Mike Moustakis and so forth because, I mean, he's playing second base. It's the only downside for me. He's been playing third base his whole career for the Royals and the Brewers. But if he could figure that out, I mean, he's played there in the shift enough. I think you could rely on him there. He may not be, you know, your... Your Javier Baez at second, but he should get the job done. But always historically been a great hitter. Him and Castellanos is the left-right tangent in the middle of that order. Should be very dominant for them. Nick Senzel, there's been some rumors out there that he could be traded, but the Reds have said they're going to stick on and hold on to him. Akiyama, who they signed out of Japan, you never know how to project a player making the transition from Japan to America. But if he pans out right, 
they have they have a really busy outfield right now. You got Winker, Akiyama, Senzel, Aquino, Castellanos. Aquino, being the, given the fact that he has options, may start the year in AAA even after a dominant start to the 2018 season or 2019. 2019 season, excuse me, when he was called up in August or so. But yeah, and then the rotation, one of the best in the leagues. You got Castillo, Gray, both of them All-Stars last year. Trevor Bauer, Disclafani, Wade Miley, who was very good for the Astros last year if you take out September. So this is a very good Reds team. I don't know if I can guarantee them to win the National League Central, but they'll make a push for it for sure. And I, I could see them in that wild card game. But them and the Cardinals, the Cubs as well, who knows what the Brewers will do. You know, It's going to be a fun NL Central. Yeah, and speaking of the NL Central and looking at another move from Central to Central, the Pedro Strope move. Yes. The one thing that is sort is good for both sides is that with Pedro Strope, you're either going to get a lights-out pitcher, lights-out performance, or you're going to have a long eighth inning. And Strope last year, it was more the latter than the former with the long eighth innings. 4.97 ERA last year. And I think it was a good move for the Cubs. I thought they could have gotten him back for a cheap deal, maybe see, hope he rides it out. But I think for the Reds, they're getting someone who, if he can perform, he will make that bullpen lights out. However, if he cannot, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't last in Cincinnati that long. You want to know what the difference here between Cincinnati and Chicago is, though, that I really like when we project Pedro Stroke is he's got a defined spot. He's going to be either in the 7th or the 8th inning. You know Rasiel Iglesias given that he has rest, is going to be in the ninth inning if it's a safe situation. Lorenzen's going to be moved around a little bit. Obviously, he's super versatile, can hit and play outfield too if you wanted to. But Strope and Amir Garrett, righty and lefty, you can mix them up a little bit, 7th, 8th, depending on who you're playing and what the matchups are. I think Strope's going to be a little bit more comfortable in this pen, and because of that, I think I think he'll be one of the more dominant setup guys in the league. Yeah, definitely for Strope in that case, he will be one of the de- most dominant setup guys. But one thing that also matters and that we got to think about is you mentioned the starters already and their depth as well. I think given that the top four, got, top five, their entire rotation, you can count on them going six, seven innings on a daily basis. I honestly don't think if we'll be able to see guys like Garrett, Lorenzen, Strope on a daily basis because they are just that good in terms of their starting rotation. And if they can get to Iglesias without having to use both those guys in a given day, the Reds will be a dangerous team because these players will have rest, which will create havoc on the rest of the division. Oh, for sure. Anything you wanted to add on, Tommy? I agree. I think he covered it. <laughs> awesome. All right. Remember to follow us on social media, On The Mound, VIC, on Instagram and Twitter for all sports updates, show updates. Make sure to give us a follow. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break here, but when we come back, we're going to talk about two former MVPs who may be in a little bit of trouble with their former teams. We'll tell you who they are and what's going on when we come back on On the Mound here on VIC. Well, it's the winter of 20 here on VIC Radio. I'm Max Tanzer, joined by Matt Sossler and Tommy Muma here on VIC Radio. You're listening to On the Mound here every Saturday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. As I said earlier, you guys, a couple of former MVPs are not in the best situation with their current teams, those being Chris Bryant and Mookie Betts. Let's start with Chris Bryant just because, you know, we're talking a lot about your Cubs today. So Chris Bryant filed a grievance earlier in the season or earlier in the year, I should say, dating back to 2015 when the Cubs messed around with his service time a little bit. But I will make it clear, this is not just the Chicago Cubs who have done this. Plenty of teams have used this as a strategy. What they did was is they didn't call him up until the second week of the season, which 
was a game under the required games play to be eligible as uh, to have an extra year of service time. So basically what the Cubs did is they gained an extra year of service time with Chris Bryant because they limited the amount of games he was on the active roster after what was a dominant spring training. So really they had no reason to start him in AAA besides the fact to gain that extra year of service and control. He lost the grievance, which disappoints me because I think I think what MLB teams doing using this as a strategy is a little bit unfair to the players. And when the new collective bargaining agreement comes, I think this will change. But starting for you, Matt, you get to keep your third baseman and former MVP for an extra year. How does that feel? It feels, <clears throat> excuse me, it feels great now. I think that he will have a phenomenal season upcoming in 2020. However, I'm not concerned about that. I'm concerned about. The fact that you never want a player playing for you if he's not 100% invested physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I'm worried that the fact that he lost this grievance, you know, there's a lot of trade talk already, assuming that if he won the grievance, they might want to deal him. But because he lost, I'm worried that there might be a lot of outside noise that impacts his play on the field. Now, what I'm also thinking about is how this will play out two years from now or a year and a half from now at the deadline because the one thing about Bryant is that he is a fixture in that corner with Rizzo playing oppo at first base, and I don't know what the Cubs will do because if they trade him, they have to get a good package for him because he, again, a former MVP, and if they let him walk or get a crappy deal for him in the, pa- in the package that they do, a trade or free agent— then I don't think it's going to work out for the Cubs. I think if they save him for the deadline of his contract year, then they may not get the best deal back. But now what they have to take advantage of, potentially if they want to trade him, is there's an extra year of control. Remember back earlier in the offseason, teams could not figure out a trade with them because their asking price was allegedly too high. Well, now maybe they could support that a little bit more by saying, hey, guess what? We got an extra year of control back, and maybe that would make Chris Bryan a little bit happier as well. The thing I would be worried about Bryan is the exact same reason as you. I don't think this has anything to do with Chicago at all. I think he loves it there. You got to love it there. That's where you were brought up. You won a World Series with them. It's just how could you trust your team when they're going to backstab you like that when you've done a lot for them? And Chris Bryan has done a lot, and he's meant a lot to that city and to that team. And look, the Cubs aren't. You know, the only team doing this here, as I said, there's a lot. of It's more the MLB who I think needs to figure this out because there's a problem. I mean, Pete Alonso with the Mets, they decided not to do that this year. They brought him up at the beginning of the year, opening day. He still wins rookie of the year. Same result as the Cubs. Maybe the Mets didn't make the playoffs. Cubs did that year. But still, Pete Alonso is very happy in New York, and I'm sure his relationship with the Mets organization is a little bit cleaner and healthier right now than Chris Bryant's with his respective organization. Tommy, if you were a player and a team did this to you, would you understand You know what they were trying to do, or would you be a little upset? I think I would understand, but I'd be a little upset at the same time. Um, and I think back to Delm Batanzas, his arbitration hearing a couple years ago, and um, Randy Levine um, had some comments about him, and things were never really the same in his time in New York. Uh, with the Yankees, of course, he switched... Uh, across town to the Mets, but um, yeah, you definitely don't want an unhappy player. I think that's that might be what you have here with Chris Bryant, but he's a professional and, you know, he'll go out there, play hard every day. Um, but yeah, definitely something to watch in 2020. No, for sure. And as you mentioned, arbitration, I think that's something that needs to be fixed a little bit as well. If you guys don't know what arbitration is, 
it's you have your players go in and it's representatives from the team i believe it's the general manager and the owner on one side you got the arbitrator the jury or judge or whoever it is in the middle and then you have you and your agent on the right and basically you're arguing whether you should make an extra million couple million dollars and you have your team just destroying you roasting you right in front of you and how you know how do you think it feels for a guy to go back that next year and play for an owner and a general manager that was just destroying him and that's just how it works they're forced to do it and I think that should be changed as well. Yeah, you mentioned arbitration and all that stuff, but also off the field, the situation with Bryant, it's kind of a coincidence. You know, coincidence. He's got a kid on the way, and I'm curious how this extra year in Chicago will impact his decision if he gets the decision, if it's in his control through free agency, how that will impact his free agency given that at that time his kid will be two years old roughly. So I'm curious how his personal life will also impact his decisions in terms of free agency and stuff like that. No, true. And, I mean, if you look at it from another perspective, too, I mean, Bryant came up as a kid to the big leagues at a baseball level, you know, as, what, a 23-year-old or whatever it may be, uh, and came up and grew up there. You know, he I'd assume he's comfortable in Chicago. I'd say, it, like, in the best situation, I'm sure Chris Bryant wants to stay in Chicago. I don't think he has any bad blood about the city but I do think the Cubs are hurting their stock here a little bit by you know, trying to mess around with all this a little bit. And I do think, truthfully, that Chris Bryant should have run this, won this case. But I think how it's written down in the law of the MLB, it's just impossible for anyone to win this. The only grievance I can remember in the last couple of years being won was Marco Gonzalez when the St. Louis Cardinals messed with his uh, service time a little bit when he had Tommy John surgery. And then the Mariners ended up, oh, here's what happened, actually. Now I'm remembering better. He filed the grievance. They didn't have a final decision yet, but the Mariners just were like, you know what, we didn't even do this to you. We'll just offer you a contract extension, burn it all out, and everything was solved. And look, Marco Gonzalez now a great relationship with his new employer. I think Chris Bryant and the Cubs need to figure out a way to do that as well. But speaking of contracts, you guys, Chris Bryant, the Cubs, trying to work it out. You know, Whether they trade him, whether they extend him, who knows? Another former MVP, as I said, is in some tough pickings right now, and that's Mookie Betts, the 2018 MVP, and his team, I believe he was offered $300 million by the Boston Red Sox, and he declined that, wanting $420 million, which is up where Mike Trout got, and Mookie Betts is a great player. I think the caliber, he's very close to Mike Trout in terms of skills and performance, and just the it factor. You could even argue not to bash Mike Trout, he is great for the game of baseball. But Mookie Betts may just be a more marketable player, and that does add more to the price. I mean, look at Bryce Harper. I think one of his pitches was probably like, I'm a name. I'm a name. Even if I'm a guy who hits 250 with 30 bombs, it may not be worth $320 million or whatever it is. He still will improve Philadelphia Phillies baseball off the field. Mookie Betts does the same for whoever he's playing for. Two biggest teams in the talks, the Padres and the Dodgers. I'll start. I don't want to see him go to the Dodgers, but imagine imagine the duo of Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts in the outfield. That would be unstoppable. The other team, the Padres, I would love to see a team that's on the rise. you got Mackenzie Gore coming up, Paddock, Tatis, Machado, some very fun players to watch. Add Mookie Betts to that, and you got a really lovable team. Guys, what do you think? I think that... I mean, I think the bet situation in Boston is sort of a no-win situation for the Red Sox. He's going to wind up somewhere. I don't see him wearing a Red Sox uniform at the start of the season, and maybe he might not even wear a Red Sox uniform in spring training. But I'm more focused on where he could go and the possible returns and packages as well. There's been some speculation about David Price being involved in that deal. 
I think if the Dodgers are the suitor for awesome team, a terrific outfield tandem, in addition to the Dodger team that we saw last year, that was one of the best teams in baseball by far, especially in the National League. They blew everybody out of the water. San Diego, as you mentioned earlier, they're a good team, and they've always fallen short. They've found some way to fall short, and I'll be curious if Mookie Betts is the guy that brings them over the top. And this is like a different Padres team, too. I don't think we've seen a Padres team that has that's projected to be this good in the last decade. So this is a new Padres team. I think they could really use it. Tommy, you're a Yankees fan. The Red Sox have some money problems right now. They do. The Yankees, not not and not as bad, I should say. Tell me, what are your thoughts on the Red Sox right now and their money situation? Well, you know, as I mean, as a Yankee fan, you still gotta love Mookie Betts. He does so many good things for the game. But um, yeah, I think that's the move that you gotta trade him. Um, the situation they're in. But what I find the most interesting is that their general manager, Heim Bloom said that trading Mookie was not on the agenda um, a few weeks ago, well, a few weeks prior to the Alex Cora situation um, unfolding. And then it was he was back on the trading block, so I find that interesting. But, you know, they're not going to contend this year, and they do have money problems, which you mentioned. Um, so I definitely think it's the move to get rid of him because you can get so many people back rebuild a little quicker um and it's a great opportunity because there's very few players like Mookie Betts where you can get that much value for them and here's the thing too he's not going to be a peak value because of the money and whoever they're trading for knows that so they can take advantage of that situation but you still can get a couple good prospects you know Dustin May uh or Kybert Ruiz I believe it is the catching prospect for the Dodgers I doubt Gavin Lux has talked about just because the money situation with the Red Sox if he does go with the Dodgers. But you're right. It's Mookie Betts. He's a once-in-a-lifetime player, but I think the Red Sox will have to move on because they're in a bad situation. They have no room to move in terms of money, especially with J.D. Martinez. Tommy and I were talking about it last night. Him picking up the option, it kind of hurts them a little bit because now it just adds more money to the payroll. But if they're able to shed that a little bit, Heim Bloom, the perfect guy to come in, worked with the Tampa Bay Rays for a very long time and built them from scratch and look where they are now and what they have the potential to do. And he did that with no money. Now he has a situation where he also has no money but for different reasons, and I think he's the right guy to come in and take responsibility for what Dombrowski did. I mean, Dombrowski got a World Series, but he put them in a tough situation. Now Heim Bloom is going to be the savior and bring them back. Yeah, you mentioned Bloom, and also, Tommy, you mentioned Alex Cora and the fact that once Cora got fired, that Bloom's mentality sort of changed around this. I'm starting to think, given how good the Yankees are supposed to be this year, given that Tampa will still be very relevant in the division race, will Boston take a step back this year by trading Mookie Betts, having these prospects develop in the minors? Well, I don't even think they—I think Bobby Dalbeck might be their only guy. They they are Maybe. pretty weak in the farm. They need to they need to make a move. They need they need to start adding to it. I should say, yeah. Yeah, as you said, their farm system is quite quite weak. And I don't know, is it a possibility that the Boston Red Sox might be around the five hundred mark? Maybe a little less this year, given their situation. If they keep Mookie Betts, I think they'll be a competitive team. 
Like, I don't think they're going to the playoffs whatsoever, but I still think they could be a 75-81 win team because you still have an okay rotation in sale. Price Rodriguez had a very good year last year. It was really the bullpen that was the biggest weakness for them. But, I mean, you'll have Matt Barnes and Workman and so forth. Maybe they'll, you know, show some of what they the light they, sh- they showed last year. They're not a bad team right now, but they're not great, and they're locked. They can't do anything to improve their team because they can't spend any money, and they have no prospects to trade. They have no option besides rebuilding, in my opinion, right now. That's right, and you said it with the pitching. I mean, the offense, I know at one point, I'm not sure where they finished up, but they were leading the league in runs scored, so the offense wasn't a problem whatsoever. Um, And like you said, if they have Mookie Betts, he's a big part of that offense, so they still will be competitive. But, um, you know, as we said, I think that they're probably going to move him and I think they are going to rebuild, but with a guy like Heim Bloom, it's not going to be too difficult to rebuild that quickly because he has experience doing it with the Rays. Yeah, and then, I mean, speaking to the offense, too, one of the m- most amusing stories last year was the fact that the Red Sox had three top five MVP candidates in Devers, Betts, and Bogarts, and J.D. <laughs> Martinez. Those are four of the best hitters in the MLB, or at least the American League. And yet, the bullpen was very tough. I mean, in September, they brought up what seemed like a thousand guys into their pen, and it just did not work out for them. But we'll see how it plays out this year. You never know what is baseball. But yes, if I were to put my money on it, I'm saying no Red Sox in October this year for a second straight year. All right, let's move on here before we take a break. A new move for the Houston Astros. They've been very quiet this offseason, especially with the sign stealing. I should say very loud for different reasons. Dusty Baker going to be taking over for A.J. Hinch for the Houston Astros. I think this is a great move for them. I think if Joey Espada was the interim manager at first, and I, I think Joey Espada will someday be a manager, but I think they needed a guy with a lot of experience and a lot of respect to come in and take that role, and that was either going to be Dusty Baker or Buck Showalter or a guy like John Farrell. But I think you know, Dusty Baker's a totally fine move right here. He's a good guy to go in and say, I'm not taking any of this nonsense. I'm going to come in and gain the respect back for this Houston Astros organization. It may take a while, but Dusty, who has never won a World Series, went to the 0-2 World Series with the Giants, has an opportunity with a great team that still has Alex Bregman, that still has Correa, that still has Altuve, Springer, Verlander, Granke, and so forth. And for the whole year, because there were no punishments. So he has a chance to get that first ring. Matt, what do you think about this? I think it's a great move for the Astros. I think the reason, or the main reason pretty much why they did not promote Espada is because I also think that management there wants to start off with a clean slate. They don't want someone managing who was involved in that scandal. And also, as you said, other than Garrett Cole, Houston still has their core. They still have Verlander, Grinke, those all those guys. And Lance McCullers coming back, too. Exactly, McCullers. So you could view that. Obviously, he's no Garrett Cole, but he is a quality arm in that pen or in that rotation that can replace Cole in some capacity. And also, one thing you look at is Dusty Baker, yet again, he has been very successful getting to the postseason. And that was with teams like the 2002 Cubs, the Nationals a couple of years back. And that, those, that Nationals team was a team that obviously eventually won the World Series with a very similar core Davey Martinez is a new manager, but I think maybe in a little bit we may see Dusty Baker lead the Houston Astros to a World Series. Yeah, no, and I mean, Dusty, the biggest criticism criticism for him the last couple of years is he's made the playoffs, but he hasn't been able to get through. He's struggled to get past the division series. Well, here's your chance, Dusty. You have, you have your super team. 
You know, I don't want to see the Astros succeed just because of all all the stuff that's gone down this offseason. You know, it makes you hate the Astros. I've never hated an MLB team. But, and I don't, I'm not going to say I hate the Astros, but I am heavily, heavily, heavily frustrated with them right now. Tommy, what about you? Well, you might not say it, but they're definitely up there for me with the Red Sox. <laughs> but, um, no, like you said about Dusty, I agree. He, um, But when he was with Cincinnati and Washington, I don't think that those players were quite at the caliber that this Astros I team agree, is. Yes. And if you look at his last four seasons, 97 wins in 2012, 90 in 2013, um, 95 in 2016, 97 in 2017. And those were less talented teams than this one. So I think that shows that he has the ability to elevate his clubs. And I think that he'll be able to do that with this team, which, you know, the Astros are still going to be competitive. They still have all their players. Manfred didn't punish them, which... I don't necessarily agree with, but that's the case at this point. And, um, yeah, I definitely think that it's a good hire for the Astros. A little surprised that they didn't go with Buck Showalter, but I do understand it because um, Buck isn't on board as much with the analytics as Dusty is. Dusty's more open to evolving, and I think it's a good hire for Houston overall. No, I agree, and I'll be curious to see... I mean, there already has been some reaction to it, but Dusty is managing the All-Star Game this year, which is very unique. If you guys didn't know, the winner of the World Series and or the winner of the pennant in both leagues, respectively, leagues respectively, excuse me, will manage the All-Star team. So it should have been AJ Hinch managing the American League All-Star team this year, and then in the National League. Uh, yeah, 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 as well. So we'll see how that plays out. I know some Yankees fans wanted Aaron Boone to be on there as well, just because he was the the runner-up. Matt, what are your thoughts? Well, I think in addition, the interesting thing in the All-Star game that you mentioned is you'll have Dusty Baker managing in the All-Star game against his replacement, Davey Martinez, which is something that not a lot of people think about. You know, it's a very, it's a rare sight to see a, a manager who took the place of another manager on a team manage against that same manager in the All-Star game. I know it's very different circumstances, but I just find that very, very, very interesting and intriguing. No, it'll be fun. It'll be fun for sure. All right, with that, we are going to take a break here on On The Mound. Remember to follow us on social media, on Instagram and Twitter at On The Mound VIC. When we come back, we have some fun little activities for you guys, some more baseball talk. So make sure to stay tuned here on VIC Radio. And on VIC Radio, I'm Max Tanzer, joined by Tommy Muma and Matt Sossler talking some baseball here this afternoon. And for this third segment, we're going to have some fun here. We're starting with the top three. Then if we have some time for the quiz as well, we'll do that too. We're here till 9 o'clock this morning. So let's start out here. Top three. It's Super Bowl weekend, so lots of food going on. I'm sure tomorrow we're all going to be eating different kinds of food. Tommy, I know you're a big foodie, right? Absolutely. Love chicken wings, so <laughs> I'm excited for tomorrow. But Hey, Yankee Stadium has a Buffalo Wild Wings, right? They do. I love it there. All right, yeah. so that's what our top three is today. Top three ballpark foods, and it's going to be based on our home stadium. So as we said earlier, Matt being from Chicago, the north side specifically, we'll be choosing foods from Wrigley, Tommy from Yankee Stadium, and me, T-Mobile Park in Seattle. Matt, why don't you start us off with your number three? Well, my number three, I have to go with the ballpark classic, your peanuts. You can buy them outside. You can buy them inside. It's really not unique to Wrigley Field, but just the experience. You know, you buy your peanuts. You walk into the ballpark, and, you know, just as the game's going on, 
ripping them up, cracking the shell. It's just a phenomenal way to enjoy the game, provide a little bit of a distraction if things aren't really going well. And, <laughs> yeah, pretty much that's it with my number three. Especially how warm they are, especially, like, for all of us in April and May and September and unfortunately not October for me. But you guys, <laughs> it's very cold out in your stadiums. So, you know, those nice roasted peanuts will warm you up, and they're addicting. I, I can't tell you how many times. And they last the whole game, too. They're great. How about you, Tommy? For me, I'm going to have to go with the bacon on a stick. <laughs> I, now, knew, I knew there'd be some fun ones with you. All right, yeah, come on. that's a great one. But I haven't tried it yet. I've been wanting to get it. You out. haven't tried it yet? It's well, your number three? No, 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 no. no, wait, no. New one. So that does not count. New one? Oh, I don't know. I'm probably going to have to go with, oh, Johnny Rockets. They have good That's a good one. There. They have that at Yankee? They do, Oh, yeah. you're so lucky. Up in the batter's eye. But I don't know. The bacon on a stick looks so good, and I always want to get it. And I've gone multiple times, but they sell out so quickly that I haven't gotten it. But this is the year that I'm going to get it. For me, it's the roasted grasshoppers. Just kidding. No, <laughs> those are disgusting. I tried them at T-Mobile Park. Sorry, Mariners. I love you guys. but And you should try them if you go to Seattle. They're always a good thing to do. You have to try it if you go to T-Mobile Park. It's not my recommended choice, though. For me, that is going to be these donuts. They call it the donut shop, I believe it is, at T-Mobile Park. And it's referring to the donut that you put on the bat as a weight. And those are delicious. They're like donut holes, and they put all types of toppings on them. And again, they're warm as well, heated up. So in the cold days of April and May and September, it's it's delicious. Yeah, you mentioned, and now I'm going to go with uh, my number two. You mentioned dessert. How can you go to the ballpark and not have dessert, especially during a night game? You know, you kind of eat your dinner there. There's one thing unique to Wrigley Field, and that is the malt cup. They, they sell them going up the aisles. They sell them in the concession stands. And it's really just it's a nice, clean ice cream. It's not loose so it gets all over you. If something big happens, you don't, you're not that guy on TV who spills the ice cream <laughs> over yourself and the people next to you. It's nice. It's semi-frozen. So it stays in the cup if that eventful event were to happen. And also, it's very, very rich and complements my number one, which you'll find out in a few minutes very well. All right, how about you, Muma? All right, for number two, I'm going to have to go, like, kind of broad. I'm going to have to go with chicken wings because there's a couple places where I get them there. They have Mighty Quinn's on the third base side or Buffalo Wild Wings on the first base side. They're both great. Mighty Quinn's probably is better. I don't know. Buffalo Wild Wings, I love it there too, though. Um, but, yeah, chicken wings for number two. For me, this one's tough, but I'm going to go with garlic fries. And I'll admit they're tough to eat. It's tough to eat the whole thing because it's just so much. I'll probably eat like nine or ten fries and I'll be done. But they're a classic at T-Mobile Park slash Safeco Field. And they're delicious. They smell delicious. And they get the job done as well. I love the warm foods at the ballpark. So those those are awesome when they're heated up as well. I mean, fries are always heated up. But you know what I mean. Yeah, my number one, I got to go with a combo here. I got to go with... They, on the menu to them, it's a Chicago-style hot dog. Unfortunately, I violate that rule as soon as I get to the condiment station by putting some ketchup on there. I feel like it brings the flavor in just a little bit, sort of nullifies the rest. And 
you got to get fries with that. Complements it very well. You get the hot dog, and then you also have the salty fries right there. You put in put in a nice lemonade with that. That's a complete ballpark meal. It's very easy to eat from your seat. It's very easy. Yet again, if something were to happen, it's very easy to drop, and it comes in tin foil. So if you were to drop it on the ground to try and catch a foul ball. You're not losing your meal. However, I would sacrifice a meal for a foul ball any day of the week. So for my number one? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to go with the Lobel steak sandwich. It's the best. Um, That's probably like I've $50. Had. No, it's a lot. <laughs> that so is the problem about ballpark food. The prices are crazy. That's why like half the time I just bring in a sandwich. But, you know, when you're just like, I'm going to treat myself tonight. I'm going to get that big steak sandwich, right? Yeah, it's like 20 bucks now. Like it used to be like 14 and. It might not be quite 20, but it's so good. Like, I can't resist. And horseradish, too. I always was, like, I wasn't a big fan of it, but it's growing on me. So, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. My number one, I, it's going to sound weird because it's not that special, but I've gotten it literally, I'd say 85. I've gone to like 150 games in the last five years, and I'd say 85% of the time I've gotten Ivers fish and chips. Mm-hmm. And they're just normal fast food fish and chips. So there's nothing too special, but they're delicious. I have them every time. Good luck, superstition. There is no way I could got, not go number one with them. Uh, if you guys go to a Mariners game, you got to try the fish and chips. They're they're nothing special, but their Max is special. There we go. The Mariner Max special. That's right. <laughs> awesome stuff right there. All right, I, I think I think we all had pretty rounded meals right there. Tommy has a lot of. A lot of starters on his list. See, I got the fries, the fish and chips, and the dessert. Matt, very similar. And then Tommy just has, like, three three starters on his list. So yeah. he's going to have a big meal. But, all right, let's move to our quiz. we got about ten minutes left. So as I said earlier, I am a Mariners fan. There's not going to be Mariners quizzes every week. But for this first one, for the inaugural one, I thought, let's test my friend's Mariners knowledge. It's the Mariners, you know, all the way in the Pacific Northwest. You guys never pay attention to them. <laughs> so here I have the... Top rankings of Mariners all-time in B-War, which is Baseball Reference War. I want you guys, I'm going to give you the top 15, and I want you guys to try and name as many as you can. You can work together. Some of them are very easy, of course, but then as we get into the back end of it, it may be a little bit tough. So let's start it out. Top 15 Mariners in terms of Baseball Reference War. What do we got? Current or all-time? Oh, Edgar Martinez. Yes. Ken Griffey Jr. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, or like, actually, let's change this up. Okay. So you got two points. Matt gets to go back to back. I'm oh, sorry he took the two most famous ones. I'm sorry, but buddy. No worries. We're, what we're gonna do is back and forth, and if he doesn't get it right after Matt gets his two guesses, then the other person gets to steal it. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I could, and Matt gets two hints now since you just took the easiest ones of all I, time. Uh, <laughs> oh, let me. Tr- let me. Tr- you got this, Matt. So you took Edgar and Griffey. Yes, yes he I took apologize. the top two. He took so the I'm top two. Ichiro. Yes. And Seager on that list? Yes, yes. Wow, okay, you took one of the back ones, but that's all right. Knock that one off. All right, so now it's 2-2, two, two, all right? And now both of you get, or now we're going to go back and forth, and whoever gets one wrong, the other person gets to steal, basically, okay? All right, go for it, Tommy. Okay. Um, Felix Hernandez? Yes, he is number four. There we go. So we've knocked down one, two, three, and four. And number eight in Kyle Seeger. It's 3-2 in favor of Tommy. Let's hear your third guess, Matt. My third guess, I don't know. I got to go with probably is, 
I feel like Justin Smoke's got to be on that Justin list. Justin Smoke, no. He did not crack even the top 20. Tough break for Mo- or, excuse me, Sossler right there. Gives Muma a chance to extend his lead to two. All right, let's hear it. Okay, so there's somebody that I have on the tip of my tongue that Edgar Martinez talked about in his Hall of Fame speech. And I, there's a lot of people he could have talked about, but I don't know. <laughs> think I about think those 2001 about. Mariners, the '95 Mariners, the '95 Mariners that beat your Yankees in the division series. Yeah, I try not to think about it. But, um, <laughs> think about your Yankees team and one of the most see, iconic players. I was just thinking about that. Alex Rodriguez. Yes, Alex go. Rodriguez hits number six. We got one, two, three, four, six, and eight knocked down on the list. Tommy takes a four-two lead. Matt, you gotta you gotta cut the deficit. Come on, get back in this one. I hope I cut the deficit with this guy, one of the more taller pitchers in baseball, Randy Johnson. Yes, he got number five. We're four three lead now in favor of Tommy. All right, Tommy. Okay, I'm looking at the back of your computer case, but <laughs> I, think... I think they're all set on the back of my computer case. Yeah, so. I don't think Daisy Ridley or Vince Scully is gonna <laughs> help me on this one. But um, oh, let's see, let's see. Are there any current guys on this list? Well, Kyle Seeger's the only current Mariner still playing on the Mariners, but there are active players on this list, yes. Okay. Robinson Cano. Yes, number nine. Hey, slotting go. in right behind Kyle Seeger. It's a 6-4 lead. I thought this was going to be the chance for Matt to come back. Now you got to stay in it. What uh, do you got? It's getting harder now. I I'm, I'm, I'm going to swing for a home run. Hopefully you don't move the fence back on me, <laughs> but... I got to go with current Phillies, Gene Segura. No, the Mariners uh, moved the fences back in 2012. Matt was in 2011 right there trying to swing for the fences. Gene Segura is not in the top 20 either. So, for 6-4 Tommy, and we still have slot number 7 open. We have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 8, and 9 taken up. So, Tommy, who do we got? Um. Well, I know... I know this isn't going to be right, but I'm going to go with a future Hall of Famer who had a brief stint with the Mariners, Adrian Beltre. Correct. He no is way. on the list. Oh, my goodness. Number 11. Very good, Tommy. How Seven long was to he four. there? He was here. There. He made his debut with the Mariners. He came oh, up with the Mariners. See, I thought he came up with the, the Dodgers. Dodgers and then went over to the Mariners, oh, actually. Okay. You're right. Yes, but he did spend a good chunk of his career, five years it was, with the Mariners. Oh, so I thought he was there for like two years. But the funny thing about Adrian Beltre taking a tangent is he like didn't make an All-Star game until he was like 31 or something like that. So really, he's one of those rare Hall of Famers where the second half of his career was bigger. But yes, his Mariners career was forgotten about to say the least but all right so tommy now has a 7-4 lead this is gonna be tough for matt to come back because we're in the back end of this bad boy with the <laughs> list uh there still is number six open or excuse me number seven open and that is a left-handed pitcher in 2001 he played till he was like 50 and tommy's not allowed to use this one because he knows i'm helping matt out here a lot i gotta go is he a former philadelphia philly as well yes. jamie moyer yes that is correct seven five tommy that is number seven so now we have the top nine filled in. Number 10 is still open, though, Tommy. A guy who played for the New York Yankees. Oh. When did he play for the Yankees? 90s. Oh. Um. Jeez. <laughs> All right. Wait, let me think. I'm going to go around the diamond. He played about two years. Not very much, but he still did. And then okay. he had some good moments against the Yankees later in his Mariners career. 
Oh, oh, uh, was it Tino Martinez? It no. was not. Good guess, though. Good guess. He was guess. there. He was in the Yankees longer, so. Yeah. Uh, all right, Matt. This is a hint. He is mentioned by, or he is mentioned by George's dad, George Costanza's dad, in Seinfeld as he's angry about the Yankees for trading this player to the Mariners. It breaks my heart that I don't remember that <laughs> hint. But I might have another guess. Of a different player. Okay. Keeping with the same theme, Yankees, Mariners, a little bit here. Okay. Let's go with James Paxton. No, James Paxton is not on the list. I'll tell you, Matt. I'll help you out. You're going with more current guys. All the current or all the recent guys, I should say, are off the list. So now we got a guy from the 90s and early 2000s, a guy from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, early 2000s, and early 2000s. So, all right. Do you have a guess on the Seinfeld one? I don't have a guess. You don't? But, no one knows no, this guy? No. I don't, but the guy that you're talking about, is he a current coach on the Mariners? No. I, Who were you thinking? I was thinking Scott Brocious, but he no, didn't play No, he played for, for the them, Yankees, right? though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and I don't think Brocious coaches anymore for the Mariners, but he did. Oh, he did. Okay. Sad, sad stuff. I, I love Bro. Anyway, go on. We got five <sighs> minutes left. Tommy leads seven to four. I, this is tough. I don't know. Um, what position did he play? Right field. Paul was the bone. Didn't play for... He literally played like a year and a half with the Yankees. The bone. That was his nickname? Yep. No hair. Bald. Little goatee. Oh, um, um, uh, David Justice? No, no. Oh, no. All right, it was Jay Buhner. Does that name oh, ring any bells? No, that's who I was thinking of because he mentioned Edgar talked about him in the speech. Oh my gosh, but there I, was two I didn't two know reasons to pick him Yankees. right there, Tommy. All right, all right. You still lead seven to four. We got Adrian Beltre is the highest one pick up on the list. He's eleven. We still have twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and about two minutes left. I'm gonna let Matt just go for a free for all, and if he could get these next four, he'll win the game. These are very hard. These are incredibly hard. Here, I'll give you hints. One of them is the brother of the Yankees manager. Well, I could just say Boone. Do I need to get the first name? <laughs> yeah, you need to get the first name. I don't know. Do you know it, Tommy? It's Brett Boone. It is Brett Boone. Brett Boone slotted in at 14 with a 19.1 wins above replacement with the Mariners in his career. All right. This one's hard. Don't expect you to get it. Number 12 was Mr. Mariner Alvin Davis. Never heard of it. Number 13, a left-handed pitcher for the Angels and the Mariners back in the 80s and 90s. He's a color radio broadcaster for the Angels now. Left-hander Mark Langston. Then we got at number 15, I'm going to let you guys battle this one out. He wore number 34, pitched for the Yankees and the Mariners. Felix Hernandez, his favorite player growing up. He retired with the Yankees back in, I think, like 2012. So, your right-handed starting pitcher. Freddie Garcia. That is correct. Hey. Tommy, well, absolutely. Yeah, Tommy absolutely dominated this round. Thank you. Tommy is, <laughs> we should just call, not me, Mariner Max, Mariner Tommy over here in the right <laughs> corner. Well, either way, that is going to wrap up our show today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As the shows go on and we get further and closer to the baseball season, we'll have more and more to talk about. But for Max Tanzer, Tommy Muma, and Matt Sossler, we thank you guys so much for tuning in. Coming up next is Every Dude's Fantasy. Make sure to tune in for them as well. They are great. And make sure to follow us on social media, On The Mound VIC, on Twitter and Instagram. Once again, we thank you so much and have a great rest of your weekend and enjoy the Super Bowl.